I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. Welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. And the week is the week two two of our 2022 mystery pack, which the by luck of the draw is the 1996 film Independence Day. Which came in the mystery pack, but we did not actually watch the DVD. Yeah, because, because I you had it on digital, copy. and it would take an extra step to get up and put the DVD in the player. Well, more than that, the controller's not as convenient. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yes, we watched Independence Day from 1996. What was it about this era that you were able to get so many named actors in a movie? Well, I don't know. I don't feel like we get... They weren't some... quite really big. I mean, Jeff Goldblum was. Yeah. Was established. Will so Smith was, was just starting out. Bill Pullman was a working actor, but you didn't usually, you wouldn't build a big tent blockbuster around Bill Pullman. And then there's a lot of other, you know, Mary McDonnell, Judd Hirsch is in this, Robert Loja, Randy Quaid, the underused Margaret Collin, James uh, Rebhorn, Harvey Firestein. Firestein, of course, Brent Spiner, and Vivica A. Fox. And on down, uh, including a young, Ross Bagley and Mae Whitman. Yes, a very young Mae Whitman. It's a good ensemble cast. Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, one often forgets that he's in this. So this is a movie that's really iconic. I mean, we we were teenagers in the in the nineties, and this is very iconic to our generation and to pretty much anybody who was alive in nineteen ninety six knows this movie. Some younger people, I don't know if they really know it. Do you know when this was originally released? In July of right around New, right around Independence Day, nineteen ninety six, and I've got a story or two. I have a story about it as well, but mm-hmm. about watching this in theaters. And that's part of why I asked when it was released mm-hmm. because that's relevant to my story. But you go ahead. And well, it was released right around Independence Day, nineteen ninety six, and they had that great seventeen state power outage. Do you remember that? Mm-mm. It was huge. Oh, actually, yeah, I do. Vaguely, I mean, I, you know, obviously I wasn't uh, impacted by it. But. Uh, so my friend Jackson Irish, who's been called out on this show of called out, referenced on this show before, he has the best Independence Day story I know of because he went to see it in the theater, and when he came out, all the power was out. And the power had kept on in the theater because they had an emergency generator. Uh-huh. And, of course, you come out of that movie, the power is out, something suggests itself. What happened? But I saw this theatrically, and I recall being, and this seems a little silly now, quite moved by it. Oh, yeah? The scale of it. And I remember seeing the the posters for it months ahead of time, and I was a nerd, and I like science fiction-y stuff, alien stuff. But you really, alien invasion films was really a 50s thing, or associated with, with the 50s and 60s, and... There hadn't been a big-scale alien invasion film in I don't know how long. And this kind of inaugurated... It's a sci-fi film, but it's also a disaster movie. And it kind of re-inaugurated disaster films. Because shortly after this, we had the various volcano films and Dante's Peak. And then uh, the director, Roland Emmerich, kept pulling out... This is the best thing he ever did. And everything else he has been an attempt to recapture this. and None of it's worked. I like Stargate quite a bit as well. Star, yeah, Stargate, and Stargate was before this. Yes, Stargate was intended to be a Star Wars. Was intended to be a franchise, but it it just did middling. And Independence Day was intended to be a standalone, 
and then 20 years later they tried to turn it into a franchise and it did it was awful yeah but the standalone is oh the stand yeah yeah this is the best again best thing he he did he kept trying to imitate this formula he's got one coming out this weekend moonfall Moonfall, which looks absolutely ridiculous let's look at a few of his titles it seems like he gets producer credits on basically everything that he also directed so Noah's Ark in 1984, he was the director, making Contact in 85, Ghost Chase in 87, Moon 44. So, I mean, you can start to see some themes. Yeah. Universal Soldier from 92. Uh, that's the first one I'm familiar with. Stargate from 94, Independence Day in 96. He did the 1998 Godzilla. Yeah, it was awful. He did 2000's The Patriot with Mel Gibson. Okay, that's, that's good. The Day After Tomorrow Has in its charms. Yeah. 10,000 BC from 2008. I haven't seen it. 2012 from 2009. A bit of a guilty pleasure. Anonymous from 2011. I'm not familiar with That's that That's his Shakespeare. Some Shakespeare uh, somebody other than Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare. White House Down in 2013. Oh, yeah, that was kind of fun. Stonewall from 2015. Mm. The 2016 Independence Day Resurgence. <clears throat> he did a movie in, in 2019 called Midway. Are you familiar with that one? I'm aware of it. Yeah. And then he has Moonfall coming out here shortly. That's is, pretty much his entire Day After Tomorrow comes kind of close to this it's not as good but like he's got his beats and that's got the beats pretty well down and i remember when i saw the godzilla that came out two years later and the characters in that are just so shallow and cardboard and lazy that they would you know look up to the characters from independence day like there's something out of tolstoy yeah. Uh, and they're not super, super deep characters in this film, but they work. I mean, this film really works for what it is. And I had mentioned earlier that I had watched Men in Black the other day because that also came in one of the, the mystery packs. And I got basically nothing out of this most recent viewing of Men in Black. It was just kind of there. Yeah. It didn't resonate. This this held up. This worked. I like I like the cast. I like the story. I, the special effects hold up reasonably well i think the score actually it's got a great rousing score it's a little over the top it is over the top but i kind of like that it's over the top you know i don't think i recognized it as having been over the top until this viewing Mm. which means it's not bad i mean if you can get 20 plus what 25 years Mm -hmm. past its release and before you're like eh, maybe it was a little over the top now question for you uh, you were going to tell your story about it i will okay mary mcdonald they get her on a budget? Is that why she's only in a short period of it? Yeah. Yeah, she's not in very much. Yeah. Of course, she'd go on to be president in intergalactic matters on the Battlestar Galactica TV series. Yeah. I have a distinct memory of watching this movie. I know I had seen it prior to this occasion because I knew what was coming in the movie. But Thanksgiving 1996. Oh, wow. After Thanksgiving dinner, a bunch of us went to... A nearby theater. We, at that point in time, we all gathered at my uncle's house down in Orem for Thanksgiving. A huge crowd in his house. And a bunch of us went to the movie theater. And I ended up going to see Independence Day with my youngest brother, Jacob. Mm-hmm. And so this is Thanksgiving Day, 1996. So it was still in theaters mm-hmm. five months later. Wow. Again, like I, Dollar Theater? I assume so. All right. I know I'd seen it prior to this, but I don't have distinct memories of that. Mm-hmm. But the scene where... Will Smith, you know, gets the alien craft to to crash as he's running out of fuel. And he goes up to the spaceship and opens it. And he says, punches him and says, welcome to Earth. 
Mm. When he punched him, my brother like yelled and cheered. And <laughs> no one in the theater heard him say, welcome to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's my distinct memory of watching yeah, this. Yeah, that'll, that'll imprint. Yeah, there's a... Some pretty there's actually some interesting trivia about this and even related to director Ronald Emmerich's Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich's who's a German. Related to his making this and also things about it. According to the producer and co writer, Dean Devlin, who these guys appear to have worked together quite a bit, mm-hmm. the US military had agreed to support the film by allowing to cr- the crew to film at military bases, consulting the actors who have military roles, etc. However, after learning of the Area 51 references in the script, they withdrew their support, which is what I think led to many of these scenes being filmed here in Utah. Yeah. There's other trivia we'll come back to, but I wanted to get to some of the ones about Roland Emmerich. Director Roland Emmerich was notified one day that Robert Logia was very upset and refusing to leave his trailer. Mm. Several days earlier, producer Dean Devlin accidentally suggested to Logia or how do you pronounce it? Loja. Loja. That he watch Airplane 1980 for inspiration when he actually intended to suggest Air, uh, Airport 1970. <laughs> Not familiar with either film, Loja rented yeah. Airplane and after watching it thought he had unknowingly been participating in the production of a spoof movie. <laughs> Both are good movies. Airplane and Airport. Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich penned the script in four weeks. It was sent out on a Thursday, and they started fielding offers the next day. Wow. By Monday, they were in pre-production. Wow. Mary McDonnell accepted her role immediately after her agent pitched the film by simply saying, it's about 15-mile-wide spaceships. We'll come back to the trivia later, because there's some other good trivia in here. Okay. Yeah. Or do you want me to start hitting trivia now? You can hit the trivia. This is, again, as is typical for me, mm-hmm. trivia from IMDb. And I have read many of these in preparation. All right. This relates to filming locations. Okay. At around one hour and seven minutes, the scene in which Will Smith drags the unconscious alien across the desert was filmed on the salt flats near Great Salt Lake in Utah. Smith's line, and what the hell is that smell, was unscripted. Great Salt Lake is home to tiny crustaceans called brine shrimp. When they die, the bodies sink to the bottom of the lake, which isn't very deep, and decompose. When the wind kicks up just right, the bottom mud is disturbed, and the smell of millions millions of decaying brine shrimp can be very, very bad. Apparently, nobody warned Will Smith. (laughs) Dean Devlin said that most of the dialogue in the scenes Jeff Goldblum shared with Judd Hirsch and Will Smith was improvised. Mm -hmm. This movie holds the record for most miniature model work to appear in one film. Model shop supervisor Michael Joyce estimated that more miniatures were used for this film than any other two films combined. Due to the advances in digital technology since this film released, most experts believe this record may stand for forever. Yeah, and the model work really works. Like, there is something to be said for the analog effects of this film. This might be one of of the last great analog effects, effects movies. Yeah. Around one hour and 45 minutes, the president's speech was filmed on August 6th, 1995, in front of an old airplane hangar that once housed the Enola Gay, which dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima exactly 50 years earlier, 
Oh, wow. On August 6th, 1945. That's neat. Interestingly, the crowd was not scripted to cheer. Bill Pullman's delivery of the speech was so good that they just started applauding and cheering on their own, and the filmmakers kept it in the movie. Mm-hmm. It is a great delivery. It's a great little speech. Yeah. As I joked uh, as we were watching this, in the world of this film, generations of school children would be taught to memorize Whitmore at Area 51 like previous generations memorized Lincoln at Gettysburg. Yeah. Recycled lines, though. Jeff Goldblum uses one of his lines from Jurassic Park in this film. Do you remember which one? I do not. Must go must faster. Go must faster, go faster. Yeah. And was deliv- and it is delivered with the same intensity. On the Bonneville Salt Flats, here not too far from where we're located, cast and crew wearing long pants still managed to get sunburns on their legs. Wow. The white salty surface reflected the sunlight up their pant legs and they got sunburns. The huge hype that this film began generating in early 1996 caused Warner Brothers to postpone the release of Mars Attacks from summer to Christmas and Steven Spielberg temporarily canceled his plans to direct War of the World. According to the liner notes from the recent La La Land Records limited release of the complete score by David Arnold, the drum rhythm heard during the invasion scenes near the beginning of the film are Morse code letters D-I-E. Kind of a nice little Easter egg. Uh When the White House was blown up, it was the White House which exploded was built at half scale just to be blown up and yeah but they used nine different cameras and slowed down the footage to get the effects that we see so yeah this was also the highest grossing movie of 1996 yes surpassing twister and mission impossible yeah and was the second highest grossing film ever at the time behind jurassic park wow and did well then One interesting note for you, except for the biplane during the crop dusting scene, any airplane seen in the air in this film is either a model or computer-generated effect. Mm. And one of my favorite trivia items for this movie, the film was banned in Lebanon under pressure from Hezbollah because it included scenes where Israeli and Iraqi soldiers joined forces. Mm -hmm. In the montage where militaries around the world signed on to the U.S. plan for counterattack to counterattack the alien forces. For the last few decades, Lebanon officially boycotts any form of entertainment that features Israelis. That is a very small, very minor scene in this movie. And it's interesting. I find it very intriguing that that short scene, rather than getting clipped, is what got this band from Lebanon. Mm -hmm. Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin got the idea for this film. Are you ready for this? While fielding a question about the existence of alien life during promotion for Stargate in 1994. A reporter asked Emmerich why he made a film with content like that if he did not believe in aliens. Emmerich stated he was still fascinated by the idea of an alien arrival and further explained his response by asking the reporter to imagine what it would be like to wake up one morning and discover discover 15-mile-wide spaceships were hovering over the world's largest cities. Emmerich then turned to Devlin and said, I think I have an idea for our next film. (laughs) And it was the next film. Indeed. So... I think those are the main ones I want to share. There's like quite a few of them. Yeah. But there's a lot of interesting tidbits about this movie. Yeah. So this movie was a big deal. Yeah. And I'm I'm genuinely impressed that it holds up. I yeah, mean, I really enjoyed watching it. I was, very seldom was I distracted with anything else. It held my interest. I mean, we're more than 25 years past this film's release, 
and it still seems like a solid, decent film. So when the uh, sequel came out, I went and saw it in the theater. I was up in Pocatello at a family reunion. The family reunion was over. And I just said, I'm going to go see this in the theater in Pocatello because I'd never seen anything in the theater in Pocatello. And then I'm going to drive home. I like that that was your reason. That was my reasoning. The and, and I was curious to see it. And I was watching it. It wasn't very long into it before I'm like, you know what? They should have just re-released the original one. Yeah. That would have been a much more satisfying theater-going experience. This movie was awful. It was intended to be the middle chapter of a trilogy that will never happen because it was awful. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad. I have not watched it again since. I think I watched it a second time simply because I didn't get the chance to see it in theaters, and so I bought it. Uh-huh. And so I think I watched it a second time just to justify having bought it. Mm-hmm. But what do you think, ratings-wise, of Independence Day? I was thinking about this. I, I looked at, jumping ahead a little bit, I looked at its aggregate score on IMDb, and it maintains to this day a seven-star rating on IMDb. About a 68% on Rotten Tomatoes. And its Metacritic score is 59. I think that the rating is close, maybe a little low. I think I might give it eight out of 10 and three out of four on the four-star scale. I would do the same. Really? Yeah, th- uh, three out of four. It's very much a three-star film. I mean, it's a big. It's your big blockbuster Eight, popcorn movie. You could argue seven. Yeah, but it's it's up there, and I I find that I still have a great deal of affection for this film. It's it's cheesy, but this kind of this particular kind of schlock has never been done this well. You know, and it's the other thing about it is it has subtle messaging that's nice, but not oppressive. Like when the father decides to pray at the end of the film and it starts gathering people and around. It's built, and it's you know, that's introduced. I haven't prayed since you're, yeah. you know, like, like it's a, it's well structured. But it's also not overbearing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another fun little factoid is there's a scene early on. The aliens have been commandeering our satellites for communication. It's been affecting the satellite signal. And so people at the cable company in New York where uh, Jeff Goldblum works are calling and complaining. And there's one guy on the phone who says, yeah, yeah, I like the X-Files, too. I hope you get to see it tonight. That's an X-Files reference in Independence Day. In the 1998 X-Files theatrically released movie, David Duchovny is in an alleyway, and he pees underneath an Independence Day poster. Does he really? Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice reference. What did you think of Spinner's role in this movie? Data. Ah, Spiner. Spiner, sorry. Brent Spiner's Brent role. Spiner. It... It is what it is. I mean, it, it's it's fine. It's quirky. I have to admit, I didn't realize until today that that was Brent Spiner. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, that I knew. You didn't have any Star, any Trek. Star Trek attachment yeah. at the time you first saw this. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's well, his, he does his a appearance good job. has changed sufficiently. Yeah, as, 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 a, as a guy who doesn't get out much. A guy who's just been down underground studying these aliens for decades. Gathering all the data on the aliens? Gathering all the data. As, yeah. as a spiner is one. That was your do. reference during the movie, right? Yeah. yeah. Gathering all the data and the lore about the aliens. Yeah. Before it's too late. Some people will get that joke. Release me. I was always impressed by that little portion of the movie, that mm-hmm. scene. That's probably, you know, there was like a creep, like especially in 1996, there was a creepiness about that, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. Any other thoughts on this movie? Not really. It's pretty straightforward. It's, it's very straightforward. If I didn't have, hadn't found so much trivia, this would have been a really short it episode. It would have been, yeah. So, okay. Well, I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast.
Do you have an advertisement no, for us? No. I think that has play, played out. No, I disagree. Then this is brought to you by Fruitopia, because there was a Fruitopia machine in the cable building in New York, nice. Nice. and Fruitopia was a drink that was sold from 1994 to 2003. I looked it up. Wow. And I remember kind of liking it. You know, that kind of the other thought I had for advertisements. Mm. I was harassing my dad today. I had to help him for a little bit. And we had to go out to his shed. And my dad has a tendency to, in the wintertime, place things, especially like beverages, outside. Because, you know, like in the garage or something. Because that's as good as putting it in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Which I disagree with, but that's okay. And so we go out in the shed, and there is a ocean spray cranberry Mm -hmm. bottle on the floor of the shed. So I said, Dad, are we really playing this game? He goes, what? I picked it up, and I said, you're really going to make us play this game? He goes, what? And I said, is it ocean spray, or is it motor oil? (laughs) He goes, it's motor oil. And I said, then you need to take the label off. (laughs) It's good. It's good. That actually happened today. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a game you want to lose. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the smell test would have revealed oh, okay. that Okay, But, it, I mean, I'm not kidding you. It was full light to the lid. Mm-hmm. I don't know why my dad's holding on to any level of motor oil for that long. But mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Are we ready? We're ready. Okay. Question for you. Huh? As part of your critical analysis of this film. Yeah. What party does Thomas J. Whitmore belong to? That is a question. Your thoughts? He's a veteran. I'm going to give you a cynical pat answer. Okay. He's a Republican. Thomas J. Whitmore Hmm? is above partisan politics. Oh. (laughs) You didn't see that coming. I did not. (laughs) So what party do you think he's from? Well, I would say he was probably a Republican. And I base that on the fact that Vivica A. Fox said that she voted for the other guy. And demographically, the black community votes Democratic. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Oh, what was I going to ask you? There was something we were talking about at dinner about this. Oh, we were talking about oh, the, the politics. critical analysis yeah. of Whitmer's presidency after this. So, so the film came out in 1996, and I remember, uh, was it... Leno, or it was Saturday Night Live. I think it was, it was Saturday Night Live where Bill Pullman guest starred and they did a political debate sketch. Oh, with did Norm they McDonald really? as Bob Dole. And Bob Dole's like, millions of people died under your administration. But the impression this film gives me is that this is fairly early in this guy's presidency because they have a political talking head early on. This is are the salad days over the president's crime bill. It's a very 90s thing. Yeah. Did not pass. He's kind of... There's also a reference to an approval rating in the 40s. Yeah. There's also a uh, continuity issue when uh, on the 2nd of July, President Whitman gets up and he's going throughout the uh, residential part of the White House and he gives one of the Secret Service members the sports page and he gives somebody else another part of the newspaper and the weather, USA Today weather map is obviously a winter weather map because of the the different color-coded temperature zones. Yeah. Because it was, I guess, filmed in a much colder time of the year. There's also some continuity issues when uh, they're at Area 51 and Jeff Goldblum and 
Margaret Collin are arguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you caught this. So he pours himself a drink, and she puts the bottle in the fridge. And when he goes over to the fridge to get the bottle, his glass is empty. And then when he goes to the counter and sets it down, the glass is empty again. And he pours himself another drink. And when he picks it up, the glass is empty, and he pours himself another drink. <laughs> and then when he walks past her, the glass is empty, and he pours himself another drink. <laughs> Somebody was pouring themselves a lot of drinks when they were editing that scene. Yep. So, yeah, this is fun, and there's a lot of little, just funny little things, and, yeah. yeah. I'm glad it held up. I was a little worried after watching MIB that it, that it wouldn't. But when was the last time you saw this? Part of me thinks I know that in 2016. I, I, I may have seen it in 2016, but I'm trying to remember how I would have seen it. I would have because I didn't have. You borrowed street. my DVD. Oh, I borrowed your DVD. Yeah. Okay, that's when I saw it. Because you wanted to see it in advance of the new oh, one okay. coming out. Okay. Yeah. Makes that's sense. the last time you've seen it, though. Yeah, that would have been the last time. You haven't streamed it off my. No, I have not. Huh. I've I know I've seen it since 2016, probably twice since 2016. But mm-hmm. how much did it make? It made 817.4 million off a 75 million dollar budget. Eight hundred seventeen million off of what budget? Seventy-five million. That's a big it's budget. Around ten-ish times. How nine, does, ten times. How do you, how do you get a budget for seventy-five million in off of, Yeah, and off of Stargate. Yeah, which was not. Yeah, I don't know. The studio just. I mean, it's a more straightforward sell. This was nominated for two Oscars. It won for best visual effects, yeah. obviously. Nominated for best sound. Seventy-five million dollar budget. Yeah. And this nearly grossed a billion dollars in 1996. Yeah. But you said Jurassic Park grossed higher. Yeah. Huh. Dinosaurs over aliens. That's what was wrong with the last Indiana Jones. Aliens over archaeology? Should have been dinosaurs. Should have been dinosaurs. Not aliens. Mm. Not true. But still thought it might be a little bit Indiana fun. Jones in the last in the Lost World. The Kingdom of the T-Rex Skull? I don't know. Uh, 